You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I said another one. This might be your first time. And if it is your first time, welcome to the show. I hope you enjoy it. Not a ton of business to get into, but we do have a little bit before we get into this fantastic episode with my man, Shelby Pollard. First of all, in just a few days, on the 9th, the American Cyclops record will be available on all of the streaming services. So... If you feel like pre-saving that, that helps me out. That link is in the show notes. That would be very, very much appreciated if you were a Spotify type person. If not, uh, on the 9th when it drops, you just stream it wherever you listen to things at. You know, stream, 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 stream. That uh, helps out quite a bit. And, you know, hopefully some other people can find it via those algorithms. So, yeah, I've got a lot more music I'm working on under that banner as well. I've got this crazy post-apocalyptic story I'm working on that will be a part of the whole thing. So we'll see where the next project leads. I'm excited about it. And other than that, I just want to give a huge shout out to everyone who has been buying their gear through tonemob.com sweetwater. That really helps a lot. If you're planning on any sweetwater purchases, going to tonemob.com sweetwater really, really helps out a tremendous amount. They are very generous with how much they share with their affiliates. And if you're on that gear hunt anyway, I would really, really appreciate that. Also, I'd like to shout out all the patrons, everyone supporting over on Patreon. That is also an enormous, enormous, enormous help. So thank you so much to everyone who's been supporting over there. And if you would like to, you can look forward to extra content beamed to your ears every week. And we just had a hangout. Some of the patrons and myself got together and we just hung out for a couple hours and just talked a bunch of guitar nonsense, which was a lot of fun. And I plan on doing more of that kind of stuff moving forward just because it's a lot of fun. And as the world starts slowly getting back on track, you know, who knows? Perhaps we could uh, start exploring some other options, you know? Maybe some in real life stuff. Who knows? I'm not promising anything. All I'm saying is thank you to the patrons. And if you at all have the ability, please go to patreon.com slash tone mob and check it out. So that's enough of that. Let's stop jabbering so we can get into more jabbering with my man, Shelby Pollard. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Wyland, and with me today, I have returning Mr. Shelby Pollard, now of Black Bobbin, Chicago. What is happening? That's correct. Here, here we are. You know, I've been wanting to do this 
you know, even just on the phone, you know, with you since since we last chatted, because you've had so many changes. Last time we talked, you were still at CME, mm -hmm. uh, Chicago Music Exchange, for mm -hmm. anyone not familiar. And now that's totally changed. You're doing your own thing. You're an independent operator. You mm -hmm. struck it out on your own. And, you know, I think you should tell us all about it. What's going yeah. on? Well, um, you know, there's no reason to waste a good disaster, as I've been saying all year. Of course. And so I felt like this was my opportunity to build something for myself. Um, I looked at the landscape of my life and of just the world. Obviously, we've been dealing with some major crises across the globe. Um, and I realized that, you know, now would be a really good opportunity for me to set the foundation for something for myself, which was, you know, kind of always the goal. I was always kind of picking up things along the way with, uh, with this always kind of in mind of, of starting my own shop and starting my own thing. I just had a thought. I, well, oh, oh no, I, I barely could speak for some reason. I like <laughs> my voice just completely failed there. I just had a thought, not <laughs> uh, for the listeners. If you're not already familiar with Shelby's story, I would recommend you go back and listen to the first episode that he came on where he told the whole thing of how he got connected with CME. Um, otherwise, you might be confused on where why we're talking in the first place. So sure. <laughs> I'm I mean, not going to go I over can, all that again. So we can do a, we can do a brief recap. Basically, uh, I was a photographer, got a job at CME in our photo department, moved into sales, ended up selling guitars, worked heavily with our buying team. And then uh, at the beginning of the pandemic uh, was like, you know what? I think this is time for me to start my own thing. Also, because I um, am newly a parent, um, not so newly anymore. I was very newly a parent at that time. And because of the pandemic, we didn't really have an option for my son to continue to be in daycare, uh, really at any capacity that felt good. Um, so I was like, all right, well, fine, I will, I'll stay at home with Walter and I'll be a primary caregiver. And also um, in the, in the meantime, start building the foundation of what is now, what we're now calling Black Bobbin. Okay. Well, that was the, yeah, 30,000 foot view, but <laughs> definitely go back and listen to his first episode. He's a lot more interesting than he just made himself sound. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, it's really easy. I can, I, yeah, I can tell my whole history in 30 seconds. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. That t and just encap encapsulates everything about you as a person. There's like no more. Everything. There's no There's more. No more. No, no you don't I think need we're to know done anymore. Here. All right. Well, thank you everyone for tuning into this week. I guess we will talk to you later. <laughs> No, so Black Bobbin, it is, it seems to be doing a lot of things, but I think you have a big goal in mind. So maybe tell everyone where you're starting, sure. what you're doing, and what the overall vision is for it. The overall vision for it is really to be kind of everything I want it to be. And I know that that seems like insane, but, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty uh, selfish person in the sense that, you know, if I'm going to strike out and do something for myself, I want it to encapsulate all the things that I like. And so really the the vision is to eventually be 
a culmination of physical brick and mortar culmination of all the things that I enjoy. So um, it's a guitar cafe uh, by kind of short definition, meaning we're going to have coffee and also have guitar equipment. Um, But also, you know, I'd love to have little shows when people are coming through town. Um, I really want, and I see an opportunity for there to be a true center of the music scene in Chicago as we rebuild after what has this been this time of this pandemic. Um, you know, it's fractured a lot of musical communities and shuttered a lot of musical venues and the landscape of music has forever changed. And, and in a lot of ways, that's sad. Um, but in other ways, it creates a, a large void for a big opportunity to rebuild. And I didn't want to wait until after everything was done to start that building. I wanted to build in the beginning, um, very much so with community and focus with um, like, like meaning like we're doing a lot of, we're trying to do as much charity community focused stuff from the get go. Um, trying to involve as many different people and artists at the very beginning. Um, and really the, true like pillar of what the business model is, is just working with small boutiques um, to bring exclusive products to the market. If that's like the sound bit of what is Black Robin right now, the end goal is to have a brick and mortar that is really kind of a community center, if you will, um, a resource more than just a retail experience. And as of right now, we're an online presence that is building up that brand. Do you think that this is going to be like a large storefront, like something that's like really impactful in like actual physical size eventually? Cause it sounds like you would need that to cram everything in that you're trying to cram in. Not necessarily. I mean, my whole goal for the business is for it to be as big as it needs to be. And for me to still be, present parent and a present spouse, meaning like I'm a pretty intense person and left to my own devices. I could easily say to you like, yes, I want, you know, a 5,000 square foot storefront with, you know, ceiling to floor guitars. Like that sounds amazing, but more than anything, I think it's important that it's a sustainable business. And, you know, right now I'm just trying to take it very slow there's lots of ways in which one can start a business. I've never started a business before. I've been involved with other businesses and I've been able to learn how those things succeed or fail inside of themselves. And I'm really trying to take the lessons of how things don't work to the application of this business. Because if I can't stay in business, then there is no business, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. for me um, to say that I need a huge storefront kind of limits what can be if black bobbin ends up being me in my house for the next 30 years working on people's guitars and launching exclusive product and that's all that it ends up being that's also okay as long as it is what's right for the business and what's right for my family and what's right for the community um i think that i could you know also take a little 1200 square foot place and have intimate 15 person shows after this i mean people are are so ready to um, and will be very ready after this pandemic to have those kinds of experiences. And I think that 
as long as there's authenticity behind it, that that we will find success in that. Yeah, it sounds like my kind of place, honestly. I think <laughs> a similar analog, at least I, I think based on the vibes I'm getting, the place that comes to mind for me is Strum here in Portland. That's one hundred percent the yep exactly yep, yep. Mm-hmm. they're more they're more focused on beer than coffee, but sure. it's still like a very like community focused vibe. They do shows there, you know, yeah, and they carry what I imagine would be a lot of the same kind of thing that you would carry, but servicing yeah. this neighborhood. Exactly. Immediately when I was explaining my business model to Chris. Benson, he was like, you need to check out Strum. And um, I'm frequently in contact with Michael about stuff. We've kind of become friends over Instagram. And um, whenever they have cool stuff, I try to also put put out there. Because I mean, really, you know, too, my my main kind of thing right now is still still jazz masters. So if I come across an awesome jazz master that somebody else has in their possession, you know, my whole thing is um, upgrading upgrading those guitars through a, a couple of different uh, options that we have through the store so i don't i don't i'll find you a jazz master anywhere you know and, and so <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter I, that's kind of the beauty of what we have or what you know i have going here is that i have a couple of different connections in the industry that i'm able to use for the benefit of the cons- the customer like i it's not a big deal that i don't have guitars i honestly like i don't have space for inventory of that capacity right like i'm i'm literally working out of my my home right now so it um it really has been great to be able to look at other places like strum and 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 make those kinds of connections but yeah they've definitely been a huge inspiration of this is possible and i want to take that old school corner mom and pop shop that you want to go into when you're on a trip but you go into and you're like oh this is carpet and a bunch of carvings you know right (laughs) but make it not carpet and a bunch of carvings that's kind of kind of the goal like well this is you know no matter the size like this is such a cool place to be it could be 10 guitars on the wall it could be a thousand it doesn't matter as long as it's a vibey cool place to be and as long as i can be there and provide you know, the level of expertise that I, I I think that the, you know, our industry deserves and the level of respect that it deserves. And I think those kinds of stores are, the, I think the market's hungry for them. Um, I think that people, you know, of course, when people come to Portland, what's the number one thing that I get asked? What guitar stores should I right. go to? And what pizza places should I check out? Like, those right. are the two questions that everyone asks me. Right. And, you know, it's like Strum, Black Book Guitars is another one. Black Book's actually a great example of what you're just talking about, where they started out like in a very small place. Right. Very, very small. And they just had it actually just crammed full of the raddest stuff at all times and cool vibes and all that jazz. Um, And they've been able to grow and expand and get into a bigger space and get more and more cool stuff over time. And I think that's a natural byproduct of, you know, giving the people what they want. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the whole the whole business model that we have in place right now is uh, working with boutiques to create exclusives. And and then I we have a pre-order window. And basically it's like, hey, if you all think that this is cool, then it'll happen, you know, and and. To the, to the degree of how large it will happen is dependent on how cool other people think it is. And I, I think that that's the core of 
what my business plan and my business model is, is, is if, if, if it turns into something where it's a huge space, then great, but I'm not gonna take out huge loans in this, you know, like that would be insane for me to do it. Would, would it be, um, could I make that work? I, I believe so. Yes. But is it the best sustainable plan for a business? Is it best for my family? Absolutely not. Like, I don't want to work for the sake of having to work. Right. I want to, I want to work because it's what's pushing something forward instead of me having to play catch up. Yeah. It's a weird thing. I think people don't really wrap their mind around specifically with a guitar store or a music shop. The like you're just your average mom and pop music shop, even the aforementioned one with carpet and carvings everywhere. <laughs> it takes a lot of capital uh-huh. to get something like that off the ground, almost no matter where you are, but definitely if you're in Chicago or Portland, yeah, right. even more so Chicago, I would imagine. But uh, it's it's not something it's like, oh, yeah, I got 10 grand and I'm going to be able to start this really nice shop that everybody that's going to be a destination for everybody it's not that i mean that could be three guitars potentially depending on what type of shop you're trying to be totally and i think that because of my background because of my history i have a, a huge advantage you know because of my time at cme i'm able to keep a lot of the relationships that i built during that time and also um you know people know and trust me, I'm not some random person. A lot of what I'm dealing in actual inventory or guitars, I'm doing a lot of consignment sales. Um, So I find myself more as kind of the expert or the specialist in between. You know, if you have something that's cool and vintage that you don't want to just be tossed into the reverb pool to kind of get lost or, you know, sold out from like, I want to make my customers as much money as possible, you know? So listen, I'll sell anything for a 10% commission fee because, you know, you're basically, we're working together and, and, and that's what I'm doing with vendors. That's what I want to do with customers. And it allows me to have access to some cool vintage pieces, some cool used pieces without having to tie capital up in that, you know? Um, And that's worked really well for us. It's, you know, right now I have a 52 or 53, 125 that's, or 225. That's awesome. You know, that I would have never purchased. And it's a beautiful guitar that has had a refret and, and plays great. And I'm, I'm proud to have it, you know, with me. Um, and hopefully that we can find the right home for that. Um, but as you said, like it takes, it takes a lot, especially right now with how used prices are to purchase inventory. And then, you know, if you're playing basically, you know, the used market right now is just like, it's, it's crazy. And you're paying up to then maybe make 15% back. It's not a good investment as a store owner. And so I'm really trying to not go that route and, and really act more as a, uh, as a consultant for my customers to, to help move gear from one place to the other. Yeah, and I think that fits your expertise and your position really well, mm-hmm. you know, on top of that, like, you know, a lot of things about a lot of different instruments. Obviously, you're known as a jazz master guy, but clearly, that's not the only thing you have knowledge in. Mm-hmm. And you also know a lot of people who are looking for this stuff. So yeah. there is a big value in being that connection point, you know, yeah. 
and it's fun. You know, I, I, I built a reputation as a salesperson, as someone that will tell you, you shouldn't buy something. And that's something that obviously I'm carrying into what I'm doing. You know, I want to ask you 35 questions before I take your credit card. You know, I, I don't want to just, it's not about a transaction for me. It's about finding the right home for the right piece and making sure that it's the right solution to the right problem. Because if not, then, you know, you're going to look at that piece, whatever it may be, it's a pedal or, or even the, the uh, pickups that we've made with Lawler. And if it's not the right fit for you, then it's something you're going to look at and think about me, <laughs> you know, like, right. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be some cash drain. Like I'm not, the whole point is like not to do the Sweetwater AMS GC thing. Like it's not about trying to hit your credit card, right? It's like, let's talk about what's in your head, what sound you're trying to make. And let me translate that with you, you know, and, and hopefully we can get close. Hey, Sweetwater's a lovely company. I'm not <laughs> saying that they're not. That's, not. that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that our industry is really, really rooted in this knee-jerk gas. And I'm not, I'm not, that's, I'm not interested in that. That's not, that's not what, there's plenty of spaces to do that. There doesn't need to be one more, right? Like why my whole goal is not to carry a single core line product from any manufacturer. We're not going to be a Gibson dealer. We're not going to be a Fender dealer, no Taylor, no Martin, no nothing. I don't want to have the exact same colorway, um, you know, old blood noise release that everybody else has. Why? That makes no sense. Like I'm competing against giants, right? That, that doesn't, that doesn't do anything to add value to the brand. It doesn't do any, it doesn't help me in any capacity. It's just like, I mean, basically, we're talking about just washing money from one place to the other. Like, hopefully, I just put this on my website and someone buys it and great. There's like really no thought in that. Um, I'm, I'm hoping to curate basically a list of inventory that I've partnered with these people to make these decisions. So there's mutual skin in the game. There's mutual marketing skin in the game. Um, you know, if you want a blue, a Chicago blue, old blood noise black fountain with tap tempo, you can only get that from me. And if you want the white one, I, I'm going to give you Brady's email and you should buy it directly from them, you know? Mm -hmm. And if you have a Sweetwater rep, buy it from them. That's, that's fine. You know, like I just, I don't think that for me, it makes sense to create another avenue to do the same thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're highlighting something that I've talked with a lot of brands about over the years. And I'm not going to single out anybody in particular, but mm -hmm. there is, excuse me, <clears throat> there is this vibe amongst dealers in general. I'm speaking very general. I'm not mm -hmm. trying to single anybody out again, but, uh, where they seemingly don't want to do the work that you're talking about. No. They want whatever product is going to sell itself. Mm -hmm. They want that product to be the driver that gets people in the door of their store. Sure. They want basically the product to do all the marketing work for them and they shave off their dealer percentage. And I've had a few people refer to them as shelves. They are. And yeah, I think that is a perfect term for it. And unfortunately, 
also in my experience, in this business, most the most incompetent business people are generally a dealer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and that's yeah. really unfortunate because that, I'm not trying to criticize anybody's character or anything, but sometimes it's like, wow, wow. <laughs> like you really are just, why wait, we're going to drop ship that. Why, yeah. why are we drop shipping that? Right. Oh, then why are we giving you a cut? Cause you're not actually doing anything. Exactly. And that's the climate that we're living in is most people feel really comfortable buying something sight unseen on the, on, on the internet. So if, we're not creating something that is unique, then what we're fighting for is web space and brand loyalty and customer loyalty. And I can tell you that I've watched some of those um, programs play out and they don't, they don't bear fruit. It, it's just, it's it, it to, per, to try to purchase someone's loyalty can only be done by creating a, a good customer service environment. And I think I really, really firmly believe that outside of that, you're just washing money. And, and I think that if you look at what a dealer is or what it used to be, which was a space where people could come in and experience a product and then have an expert speak about that product um, articulately is it's kind of going by the wayside because as you said, it, they're just, they're shelves. It, it, it's either there are too many products that the sales staff can't learn enough about, or you're just hoping that there's enough buzz and marketing behind it that it's just going to automatically sell out and boom, you get your 30 points. Like that's not, that's just not interesting to me. That's, that's, that's a Walmart, you know, I, I, I'm sorry. Like it's, if you look at what that is, that's so much more of, like you said, it's kind of it's kind of shady. It's a little bit of like, well, this is just a money making thing for me. And f for me, it's always been about the music and the playing and the art first. Like if we start from a bedrock of, is this enhancing your musical experience versus, you know, do you need another five hundred dollar squire? Um, and the answer might be yes or no. It just depends on the answer to about thirty other questions, right? Um, I don't want to sell you. I never want to sell anybody a guitar just because I feel like, oh yeah, I just, I just, I just scored, you know, like that's such, right. a, <laughs> that's such a ridiculous thing. I could sell a million other things to just make money. That's fine. This it's more about the actual creative passion behind working with these brands to, to create something new. That is what's kind of weird when you do, meet that person and it, it could be somebody that runs you know a brand or a dealer in this mm -hmm. case but where you run into those people who it is all about the money for them sure fortunately that's a little bit rarer in the circles that we run in but mm -hmm. you do see those people occasionally and you run into them and my thought is always like man like there are so many more profitable you know, industries to work in. Like if you really are just all about that cash, uh, I would suggest that you should go somewhere else. Like this is, yeah. this is not the biz for it. Not to say that people can't be extremely successful in this business as you've seen firsthand. It's not that it's just, it shouldn't be, I mean, money's important. I'm not going to, I'm not sitting yeah. here being like money doesn't matter. You can yeah. live, you know, a you know, hippy dippy lifestyle. Like that's not going to work. But 
you do need to like realize why you are in this business, I think. Well, there's two different types of, you know, owners. There's two different types of dealers. There's the old school dealer whom really does need to watch their bottom line and they're worried about things like reverb because they they know they didn't understand it at the beginning. And then there's also a, a to be real, there's a large portion of shop owners or dealers that are prominent that this is a second investment for them. They're wealthy. This is this is not this is a passion project, you know, and so they make decisions based on protecting that asset. And that's a different reason to make decisions than again, like I want to do what's best for the consumer, right? Um, if I wanted to make a bunch of money, um, I should sell, you know, computer software or something else. Like that, that's not the point of this for me. It's like I'm literally starting from the ground up from zero because this is this is my life. This is my this is my life's work, you know? Um and I really felt like the the industry deserved it deserves more people our age who are trying to do something like this, to, to think about the next 50 years of this industry, to look around and say, there's a lot of opportunity here to work with these brands, to work with younger artists or different artists like that are not being represented, uh, represented accurately in this industry. Yeah, it's... It's a strange thing. I do think there's a pretty big generational shift that's happening right now where like the keys to the kingdom in some regards are sort of being handed over to our age. We're like mm-hmm. getting old enough to where, you know, we're not just uh, young whippersnappers anymore. I'm and not we... young. No, <laughs> I go to bed at 930. Okay. So that's that's how I know. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm a night owl, so that's I'm not a great example. But I wake I sleep up at, in. I wake up at five. So, geez, yeah, I'm I'm dead by five. I didn't go to bed till two <laughs> last night. I'm I'm doing it wrong. I think I'm up at five answering emails. So impressive, impressive. I, mean, if not, I, I have no other time to do it. Oh, that's right. That's true. That's true. You got the kid to worry about. I understand. Yeah. Lots of things going on. But I, I do think there is a, a changing of the tide that's happening. And I think that what you are speaking about, like, what's this business look like for the next 50 years is very mm-hmm. much like a concern of ours. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not saying that I actually am very hopeful. I think it's going to be awesome. It's going to be honestly, great. it's going to be truly fantastic. And that's not to say that it it hasn't been cool in the past or isn't cool now. I just think that it could be better. It's and going to be. And, and we have an op- a huge opportunity to be um, an industry that's leading diversity and inclusion and starting to represent um, people in, in different ways and, and really show other industries how to do that. I mean, we're talking about making art, right? Like I, I, I just have to bring that back to, to earth a little bit, right? Like it, there's so much focus on, on having the right gear and and having the right stuff and the image of all that stuff. But at the end of the day, we're talking about intimately holding an instrument near you to allow um, something that's inside of you to, to become out, right? Like to, to voice something that's inside of you that somehow you can't explain with words. Um, and the more that we can encourage people to do that and the more that we can arm people with the tools to more freely do that, the, the, the better that society is for a lot of reasons. 
Um, so I, I'm very hopeful. And, and again, if I weren't, then I wouldn't be kind of kind of betting it all on it. You know, I think that a lot of this industry has a blind eye turned to what's happening on the other side. I think that they kind of try to touch it, but it it definitely feels more like it's hitting some kind of quota, right? Like it's either some kind of diversity quota or it's some kind of inclusion quota where, okay, we've done enough, but it's like, no, we have to create more space for a, a new version of musician, a new version of guitar hero, a new version of influencer or whatever it may be, whatever creator comes forth that um, this industry can continue to be an industry, not because it's, um, taking advantage of these people, but allowing these people to to more freely create. Yeah, and I think that that gets a little bit uh, mixed up, for lack of a better term, in that, like, just because we're talking about, like, wanting to include more and more different viewpoints in mm-hmm. what we're doing, that doesn't mean we're looking to exclude what's our, always been. That right. is, that's not the point. And I think that gets really mistranslated sometimes so why are you focusing on this voice or that voice and it's like well that's just who we want to amplify at this moment because they've been traditionally you know cast aside in some way or another that isn't just to say that they just have something more interesting to say i mean literally the guitar on the grand scale has been saying the same thing for 60 plus years right at a certain point, it just doesn't, I'm not, I'm not interested in hearing the same conversation. I want to hear something different. I want to, I want to hear someone else's perspective. And if that means that it's some ambient drone for 45 minutes, that's fine. I might not listen to all 45 minutes of it. Um, Or if it's making your guitar sound like a synthesizer, or if it's just, you know, playing something melodic instead of ripping through country or blues licks. And that's great. You know, like, I've always tried to be kind of more of an average player instead of, you know, like I want to play, I want to hear some chords every once in a while. <laughs> you know, like it's, I, I don't, I don't know how like playing a bunch of single notes quickly um, informs me about an instrument. Yeah. It's something that I, I've always viewed it as like, wow, that's really impressive. And generally I don't care. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? It's Well, it's also, I can't see myself doing it, right? I can't put myself in a position where I'm like, I understand now what that guitar does or what that pedal does or what that amplifier sounds like, because you're impressed by the, uh, the execution of it. Right. Um, And you're, you're more, you're more doting over the player and that kind of player gear endorsement has always existed in this industry. Absolutely. But you know, I think we're seeing a huge revolution in singer-songwriters, specifically in the, in the female sector. Um, some fantastic female singer-songwriters who are using the guitar as a vehicle in which to tell a story. And that's just as important in the guitar history as it is, you know, Eric Clapton or anything else that's blues derivative. I mean, I'm so glad that there is a Greta Van Fleet for whomever is looking for a reboot of Led Zeppelin, that's cool. Not for me. Um, I'm glad that that exists, but that's not where I'm making my investments for the future. Um, I'm, I'm more interested in people who uh, maybe are, are just telling a more a, a different story, a more interesting story. Who are some artists that have really caught your ear in the last, say, I don't know, three years? 
Um, one of them in particular was Julia Jacklin. I hit that phase really hard for a while. Fantastic Australian singer songwriter who um, I think is just really honest lyrically. Um, you know, and I think that this industry really romanticizes the the past. You know, if you look at like like oh like uh, about how much gear mattered, right? Like you know, Jimi Hendrix like didn't even own a guitar until um, Keith Richards' girlfriend stole one of his guitars and gave it to him, right? Like he had to keep <laughs> playing with the Isley Brothers because they had the guitar, right? Like he couldn't have a solo career because he didn't own an instrument. So there's been such a huge placement on what what was that person playing? What was that person doing? Whereas a lot of people now are just like, I don't know, I play this telly into this Princeton and it sounds cool. Um, so I try to f- focus more on like the holistic music experience. I, I mean, I literally listen to everything from Chris Stapleton to, uh, you, you know, uh, Kendrick Lamar, like on the same day. You know, I, I spent a lot of the past couple of years like listening to country and hip hop. And then like, you know, most of the time during the day, I put on classical music. Um, so I really like try to cover the whole gambit of of just the sonic experience. Yeah, for me, it's it's really changed. You know, of course, I'm that age that I'm I'm one of the Warp Tour kids, you know, mm-hmm. and that is always going to hold a special place in my heart. Yeah. But, you know, trying to expand as I get older has been on purpose. You know, yeah. back back in the day, I was so close minded to what I would listen to mm-hmm. that it's embarrassing to even think about, like my attitude towards certain artists. And I'm just like, what? You were just some like snot nosed suburban kid. What do you know about any of this stuff? You don't know anything about anything. Right. And you're acting like you have this, you know, artistic superiority because you listen to bands that are somewhat abrasive sometimes. Like, it's so stupid. It's not a yeah. good way to be. But I think you find that like, that, that's such a good example of just getting older. I mean, I, I found like in the past year or two specifically, like I'm just, I have such little time for closing myself off to things. Meaning like I want to learn as much about as much as I possibly can. You know, I'm probably generally reading at least two books at the same time, maybe more. And it will be everything from like the story of Paul Bigsby to I'm currently reading Homeland Elegies. And it's like, you know, a story about a Middle Eastern man who's an American. You know, I just want to, I want to learn as much as I can. And I feel like music is such a, such an obvious way to do that. And closing yourself off to, you know, this is what I listen to. Music becomes such a huge part of people's identity, right? Your your culture, your your social circles. Um, you know, if you're a Warped Tour kid and you're like listening to Lagwagon and all of a sudden you're like, hey, like, let's check out this like Miles Davis guy. Like your friends are probably going to think you're an idiot. Um, <laughs> you know, like that's not going to go over so super well. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I'm such a... I'm such a history nerd and I like thinking about things um, in the, in the time and order that they happened and like understanding like, you know, in 1959 kind of blue was released. It was also the year that a Fender jazz master was released. And, you know, all the while in California, like they're still doing Western swing bands, you know, like 
and all the stuff that's happening in Nashville. So like chronologically thinking about music and history and all that stuff is just something I really obsess over and, and really informs like how I want to consume music currently. You know, I just, I want to see, I, I love listening to Taylor Swift records, you know, like I want to know what, like, what does a million dollar record sound like? You know, if you have all of the resources in the world, what choices do you make? That's interesting. It is interesting. And it's also really like specifically talking about Taylor, listening to somebody who has access to anything and everything and what she chooses to do with it mm. is pretty cool. Like, yeah, uh, but it's also really encouraging because I listen to that and I go, wow, that's really impressive. She's really talented. You know, wish her all mm. the success. But mm. then I can also listen to somebody that doesn't have any budget and mm. they're recording you know, very minimally. And with what we have available today, you can arguably make just as high of a quality of product, if you want to call it that, as she can. Right. It's all about the, you know, access. The, yeah, the access. It's mm -hmm. improved so dramatically. And when I think about that, I listen to uh, this amazing podcast that I recommend to everybody. It's not you know, most people probably have heard about it if they're music nerds of any stripe, but cocaine and rhinestones. I was just listening to it on the way like yeah, earlier. Yeah, it's so good. It's yeah. it's it's yeah. such a good podcast. Even if you don't like country music, you should listen to it anyway, because it's yeah. phenomenal. It's 45 but, uh, minutes on the on the on the history of the pinball machine. Like, come on, like and how it relates to billboard music. Yeah, it's crazy. It's I didn't so know about any of that. Yeah, specifically so that like pinball was illegal and all. I had no yeah. idea. I had no yeah. idea. Fantastic. But, but listening to that make gives me such an appreciation for how much music is really out there. Mm -hmm. Like we talk about how much music is available today, just right on our phones. Sure. And it's amazing. I actually really like that. I, yeah. I understand the drawbacks. I understand the negatives that are there, but I think in the long run for the consumer, it's a net good. Um, oh, you know, for sure. I, I think that it also in the, in the long run for creatives, it's all the good. I mean, the reason that I can confidently say that this industry isn't going anywhere is because from working at CME, I'd watch, you know, teenage kids come in and they're playing the same Hendrix Clapton riffs that I did when I was a kid or whatever. And also like, you know, John Mayer riffs, but it just, it's because they have so much access to all of it. Like, like you don't need a new guitar hero anymore. You can watch any of it that you want, or you can listen to any of it that you want at any time. So now the future of, of creating art is more about what influences are you choosing to draw from? What resources are you choosing to draw from? That's not something that you can listen to throughout history of music and say, Oh, they made that decision. Right? Like, because recording was such a very specific process, you were limited by technology. It was just, all right, we got one take. You know, there's no overdubs. We're sitting in someone's living room, right? We'll, we'll turn the, the light on so you know you can play kind of situation. Now, as you said, like, whether it be a laptop or full studio, you can either choose to make an expensive sounding record. You can make a cheap sounding record. You can make a record that's influenced by... British Invasion plus dubstep. Like it's all about whatever melding of worlds you want to create. And that's interesting. You're listening to those types of active choices when you're listening to music. It's a choice to make a sparse record. It's a choice to make a busy record, right? It's a choice to make a bad, bad sounding record. 
regardless, of, <laughs> you know, like regardless of what the choice is, it's there. And it's because of a lot of different factors. And that's what you're experiencing. I think that that's really cool. You know, I think for me, I'm a big Boney Bear fan. And the aha moment was I was listening to his, to Boney Bear, Boney Bear, like the self-titled record. And then also started listening to um, a Talk Talk record and also Steve Reich, a Steve Reich record at the same time. And I was like, oh man, this is just like a melding of Talk Talk and Steve Reich. And like, like those are two totally different worlds, but I could hear those influences from this person. Like you're just listening to really interesting stuff, right? And I think that some of the best artists that are out there right now are just listening to the most interesting things they can in history because they have access to it. You can listen to anything that you want, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's so funny. It, whenever these conversations happen, I like to like go into my Apple music, like recently searched mm-hmm. because it's always kind of, it's kind of comical in a weird way of just to look back and go like, what, you know, cause you don't even think about it. Right. You're just like, I want to hear this. And it's like, what, what's in my, you know, I'm like, Ida may, Pig Destroyer, Holy Fawn, <laughs> Sturgill Simpson, yeah. The Blood Brothers, American yeah. Aquarium, Emily Wolf. You know, like, yeah. it's like, it's what the in the world is going on with this? I don't know how these algorithms can even... At, Spotify does a pretty good job, honestly, but I don't know how mm-hmm. these algorithms can even find people to suggest based on this. It's like, yeah, you know, Miles Davis is going in there later today after you said that. Yeah. I, like, I haven't listened to Miles Davis in a while. I need to. And go, so listen, <laughs> go, go listen to Bill Evans's Undercurrent record with Jim Hall. It's an unbelievable record. It's got one of my favorite photos of all time, Tony Frizzell. It's called Waxahachie. It's this lady that's like underwater, but you can't see. It's like underwater photo. It's beautiful. And um, it's Bill Evans's first record after his bass player was killed in a car accident. And so Jim Hall was like, dude, you got to get back on the horse. He pulled him into the studio and they made this record together. It's very beautiful. It's very like sparse and just two friends just playing music. It's really intimate. Um, highly recommend. And noted that my uh, most recent search includes Idols, Nathan Kalish, and then Raffi. So, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're all over the place here. <laughs> Definitely. I love it. I love yeah. it, too. It's fantastic. I, yeah. you know, there's the streaming argument is obviously something that's close to our hearts, too. But like based on what we're saying, it's like, man, you couldn't have done that at any other point. You know, you couldn't have had that immediate access to that stuff and been been able to expose yourself and your family to like these new things yeah so it's you know it's it's really hard to make it as an artist but part of me wonders you know i don't know because i'm you know i'm the age i am and i only know what i've experienced but i i sometimes think about trying to make it as as a musician in any time Mm -hmm. really yeah it's hard it's never been it's never been easy. Never. It's always been super, super difficult to break through. It's always mm-hmm. been, you know, only a certain small percentage of artists really are able to do it for a living in a real, like, full-time way. It's right. it's always been that way, and it's not really any different today. Right. And my, so, argument, my argument with the streaming thing, just just a brief detour, but I did, some, I did some research about, about it, and if the the problem with like a spotify platform is that it's actually the the free tier like the i 
I pay for my Spotify and because I pay for my Spotify, a greater percentage of my play plays goes to the artist. Spotify paid tier actually allocates more money to artists than the free tier, which makes sense because they're actually making money from that listener. So if there were enough people who actually just paid for Spotify instead of using the free portion of the platform, artists would intrinsically make more money. That's not something that's talked about very often, but all the people that normally complain about like, oh, I wish Spotify would do X. It's like, just pay the $10 a month to be a Spotify member then. Like it would it would actually help artists more. Um, so streaming is not going to go away. It's just... No, you can't put that, that genie back in the bottle. No way. No, it's just that people need to realize that, you know, you have to pay for those resources and paying for those resources allows people to continue to create. So I have not done this exact research. I didn't realize that Spotify paid more uh, when you actually pay for Spotify. Mm-hmm. I've always had Apple Music just because, you know, as soon as it rolled out, I was like, oh, you know, that's yeah. just on my phone already. And uh, yeah, I'll sign up for that. That sounds fantastic. Sure. Uh, and then I found out later, at least this was three, four years ago, that Apple Music paid a little bit more than Spotify. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, cool, I'll keep on that train sure. just, be- just because. But I don't know if that was in reference to the free tier of Spotify or the paid tier of Spotify. So I actually need Worth to take a look at. Yeah, take yeah. a take a gander because it doesn't matter to me. Right. I'm I'm platform agnostic. I listen to podcasts on Spotify and music on Apple Music. Mm-hmm. Um and if I if it's easier just to listen to it all on the same platform, which is why I release my record as a podcast. So <laughs> <laughs> uh then I'm gonna I'm going to do that. You sure. know? Sure. So it's a. Uh, that's it's a it's definitely a debate. And then also, you know, my argument has always been like for the artists that you obviously no one person can fully support any artists that they really love. I mean, I guess Jeff Bezos probably could support a lot of artists, but like most people can't afford to support any one artist fully themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. But I would I've always made the argument that if you have somebody that you really like somebody's music that means a lot to you. Mm hmm then stream them as much as you want. Just stream stream them a whole bunch, but make sure that you buy something from them. Right. Almost all of them will have a shirt or a hat or a vinyl or a sticker or a show or some way that you can support them. Right. Just try to try to do that. Like try to yeah. try to buy their merch. Try, and for me that's almost like the best of both worlds because you're kind of double dipping. You're getting them those little bits of money from the stream, you know, on a regular basis. But then you are also supporting them through, you know, more traditional means. Yeah. Spotify for me is to try it out. And when I love it and it needs to become a part of who I am, then I buy the record, you know. And Mm -hmm. I also, this kind of ties, you know, full circle back into like the music store, small boutique kind of vibe of what we're doing is not only buy the record or buy the merch, but buy it from their website, you know, um, especially speaking about Bezos and stuff like we live in a world where everything is so convenient. We've, we've decided that convenience is important, but I've, I'm afraid that we're voting with our money to put all of it into one pool instead of diversifying the, the, the American economic landscape. I mean, I know that sounds dramatic, but you know, if you have a chance, whether it be record, merch, pedal, whatever it may be, 
just do a quick search and see if you can buy it directly from that person. It might take a little bit longer, you know, and I get that. But if it's something you really know that you want, it's something that you're willing to wait for, it, you know, selling stuff on Amazon or on some of these other third parties, or even, you know, if you want to buy like sometimes like I'll go and I'll buy a book from a friend from one of my favorite bookstores, you know, like just directly from that bookstore that it doesn't, it's not going to change the world, but if all of us do it a little bit, it, it actually, it actually does change a lot about the way that, you know, things are going to look in the next 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah. I think being, and don't get me wrong. I'm just as guilty of this as any other person, but at, at least attempting to be a more mindful consumer mm -hmm. actually has really big impacts. Like you just mm -hmm. said, paying attention to where you're getting things from mm -hmm. is, is really helpful. That's not to say that I'm not going to go to Kroger and buy like a lot of my groceries. I probably sure. will, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. No. But when it's something that is important to you, like music or art or, you know, anything really that has a big impact on you, just try to go as close to the source as you can or try to make sure that the dollars that you are spending or, you know, Dogecoins or whatever. It, <laughs> I bought it, one. <laughs> I bought one Dogecoin, just one single one. It's a, well, who knows? You could go to the moon, man. You never know. I don't want to. I want to stay home. I told you. <laughs> but uh, I think just being mindful of that is important. And I think that that is going to become more and more commonplace. Um, I think yep. that, that, you know, just even having these conversations, yeah. might you know somebody might be hearing this and go you know what i never really did like think about like it's nice to buy to... records from amazon but you know yeah. my local record store is a lot cooler really they really need you you know mm -hmm. but it's not it's not even that like i'm not even saying like you have to do it all or nothing like there's no. obviously a special like, there's a perfect blend of all of it but even just being aware of the fact of like huh i am putting all of my money kind of into one spot and if that that's going to create a different landscape. And if that's okay with you, that's totally fine. I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying like, if you are a, a record lover or if you're a book lover, um, if there are local places that you can walk to or that you can, you can wait the extra week for that thing to arrive, like make that decision every once in a while. It, it really does have a big impact. Well, and a lot of times it's, it's not even that, right? It's not mm -hmm. even like I got to wait longer. It's just, I am used to buying things on Prime. I'm just using that as an example. Yeah, I'm not already, against. It's already it's already on your computer. It's already up. You're yeah. you're already in that platform. Yep. It's, so it's really it's literally about like thinking. Oh mm -hmm. wait, I need to do this. You right. know, you know, and it even gets down to like this is like this is going to become this is going to come across as self promotional, and I I don't necessarily mean it to be. Here, but oh, here it comes, Blake. Jeez. I know, but it even comes down to like when you are buying from certain places say you are going to buy from Amazon or something. Mm -hmm. Some of your favorite creators might have a link that you can click through and just sure. try to remember to do that. Because I know for me, like my affiliate stuff that I have has been, has been hugely helpful mm -hmm. and it's for things that you're going to do anyway. Right. It, you know, so just try to remember, you know, that those are options. And if you have creators, musicians, or whatever that you enjoy that are utilizing those things, really try to remember to use them if you're going to buy that stuff anyway, because you're just shaving off a little piece for 
you know, somebody doing something you like. And admittedly, that is very self-serving, but <laughs> it is no. it's something I try to do, too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just I think that people don't realize that you're voting with your money, you know, like we're and, and that's that's what is happening. You get to choose, and but it's all of us getting to choose together. And it's everyone making those small choices that really it really can can shape the landscape. You know, it's the difference to talk about self-promotion. It's the difference between buying a set of strings from from me versus buying a set of strings on Amazon, right? Like, or GC or Sweetwater or whatever. It's, I'm not saying that you have to shop local or shop small. I'm saying whatever you are shopping, you are voting with what, with which you want certain things to continue to exist or to continue to grow. And just having that knowledge shapes the way that you think about purchasing stuff and that you have that kind of power. The consumer has a lot of power that they don't realize. Um, they just kind of like think, well, whatever, it's, I'm just buying something. It's like, no, like you're actually kind of dictating the landscape of how this continues to be or, or the way in which it, it shapes or morphs. I mean, if you don't think that people are tirelessly um, going through these types of data to figure out what consumer spending is like and, and what kind of trends and what, how we should pivot, I mean, like that's a lot of power. That's a lot of power on the people. Um, you can you can start a whole revolution by not purchasing something or by purchasing something or by donating to something. You know what I mean? Like that's a that's that's a huge amount of motivating moving power uh, the, the consumer the consumer base has. I mean, let's just illustrate it in something that we can all clearly see, especially people our age sure. and something that's fresh on my mind because I was just there. But blockbuster video. Yeah, right. I, I saw you were there. We just watched that movie too. <laughs> that was so much fun, by the yeah. way. But yeah. like, if you want to see the power of consumer spending and choices in real time in mm -hmm. action, Blockbuster was a massive corporation with thousands of locations all over the place. Mm -hmm. There's one left in right. Bend, Oregon, and that is because consumers decided they would rather stream things than go to the video store. And I get it. I generally would too. That's what mm -hmm. makes that place a novelty now. It's like, oh, wait, I remember when I used to do this. And it was a lot of fun. It was it was a great time. But if you want to think that your spending and your dollars don't really matter and they're not going to have any impact, mm -hmm. uh, just look at that. I mean, but everybody it, know, has been to Blockbuster that's our age, you know, right. basically. And and exactly the, the the climate that you're describing is the reason that I started my own business is because there is one blockbuster, because there's been so much media and press about kind of this like dying little thing. I guarantee you, you're going to see a bunch of little video stores come back up because people are going to want it and they're going to start voting with their money again. Right. Mm -hmm. And and I think that we're going to see this reinsurgence of people wanting expertise, wanting good customer service, not wanting to just click a buy box. They want to talk to somebody. They want to go in. They want to feel it. They want to talk about it. They want to have someone give them their advice. And that's that's what motivated me to go on this journey to, to forge a new way, because I think that I think I see consumers wanting that experience much more than other people really can even realize. That is something that I could really go off on a tangent on uh, <laughs> because I have a lot of thoughts on on that exact thing. But basically, mm -hmm. yes, I think you're right. I think as the world becomes more and more digital, we're going to crave physical things yeah. more and more. I mean, the vinyl resurgence is a perfect example of that. Sure. Uh, you know, uh, I think it was last December 
if I remember remembering this correctly, I, I believe it was last December during Christmas time, vinyl records sold more. It was like a, a record setting month for vinyl mm-hmm. record sales. And it's yeah. like, wait, in 2021? Yeah. Like, or 2020, excuse me. Like, what is going on? Like, people are people home. want, they are their home. They got, they had nothing else to do. Yeah. And you know what? We like, I like dropping the needle. Yeah. It's fun. I like, hold, I like holding the thing. I like being, I like choosing that experience for an hour. Right. Like mm-hmm. that, that's something that you don't necessarily always get with a streaming platform and it's different. They both have their own place and that's what you see in the settling of these two climates. You know, yep. b- both of them can exist, you know, a Sweetwater and a Black Bobbin can exist. They, they serve two completely opposite purposes. Right. And that's fine. That's great. Uh, and I think that the vinyl and the, and the, and the uh, streaming platform is a perfect example of that I, I'm toying around with the idea of releasing a record only on vinyl. Like how fun would that be? Limited press. You just try to convince people like you used to not be able to hear anything before <laughs> you bought it. Like, well, that's not a foreign idea, you know, like it's not that crazy. You'd have to walk into the record store and look at the back of a record or look at the front of the record and say, does this look like something I would like to listen to? <laughs> yeah. So like, who are the shags? Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. I think I might, I think I might get these people. Yeah. Let's give this a try. These people look like they know what's up. Mm-hmm. Well, man, uh, we're getting close to the end of the main episode here. We need and three more hours, I think. We could do it. I mean, I've got I've got the time today. <laughs> I don't usually, but I do today. For you, I always have the time. <laughs> Thanks. But before we wrap this this portion up, uh, I've changed things a little bit. So I've got a couple classic questions. You already know what one of them is. Oh, do I? Do I? Yeah. Well, unless you forgot, then maybe you don't remember. But don't... the uh, the other one is is a new one since you've been on. Love it. But before I do that, I want to give you the opportunity to say whatever you want to say. If there's something you would like to get off your chest to a few thousand people or, you know, a relative you'd like to shout out or, <laughs> uh, you know, a recipe you'd like to share, this is your opportunity. Um, I think I just want to say I'm very thankful for everyone who has come along thus far for the Black Bobbin journey. It's been a really really great experience and i'm so thankful for everyone who messages me asks me questions about about jazz masters about gear or whatever please continue to do so any any question or concern you have about anything whether again it's something i sell or don't you know i, I feel like um i can connect you to the right person and, and i i just i'm every day i'm i'm very grateful that i get to continue to do what I do. So um, please continue to do so. Black Bob in Chicago on Instagram at Black Bob in Chicago um, is the main, the main squeeze, the main channel. That's where I put all of the love, everything else. Um, you know, Facebook, who, it's fine. You know, who cares? I, I don't, Facebook's not my jam, but Instagram, that's where I'm at mostly. And uh, Blake, I'd like to thank you for having me on and uh, I mean, really just talking about everything. So again, let's just, we got, I got 10 more hours. Let's just go for two more days okay. and we'll just keep talking. Yeah, that works for me. <laughs> I'm going to go tell my family where I'll be. I'm going to get some popcorn and <laughs> some coffee and I will park right here. I'll call it a day. 
Yeah. Okay. All right. Here we go. Let's get into these classic questions. Classic the first questions. one is, what is your favorite boss pedal? Probably the DD seven. Okay. Um, you know, that was, that was a, that was a pivotal delay for me because that was the first tap tempo one, right? Is it the first ever tap tempo delay? No, the first, maybe the first boss tap tempo one. Okay. I'm not huge on my pedal history. I couldn't have been in the reverb pedal movie like you were. I'm not famous <laughs> like you. Okay. Oh, yes. He's I'm so not, famous. I'm not world infamous from knowing the history of pedals, but I think the DD7 was the first tap tempo boss pedal that I had. And I, that was like, because I had one of those, like, you go to GC, you buy the boss carrying case that perfectly is cut out for each boss pedal and just like covered the whole gambit, like tuner to drive, you know, just boss pedals, right? And you just throw it down. It's just this hunk of plastic and you plug it in and boom, you're ready to go. But um, the DD7, like that was the first like, man, delay is really cool. And I feel like I misused delay for such a long time and used it more as a reverb than I did a delay. Like it wasn't really like dotted delay for me. It was more like, how can I make the, my sound wider and bigger and longer? So okay. that, one, that one was definitely like, that one was a pivotal moment. I don't think that's that's a misuse. I think that's a classic use. That's like a David Gilmore style use of the delay. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. I think I just didn't understand what I was doing. You know, I just was like, it was more about I'm playing chords and I want it to be big, you know? Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. The, the final question and one you've answered before, but I will mm. be curious to see. I hope, you know. I hope I'm a different me. I really do. Okay. Let's find out. Pizza. What is your favorite kind? Oh, I'm definitely a different me. Um, oh, right, wow. I'm definitely a different me than last time. And if, Philippe Herndon even tries to weigh in on this topic. I will do nothing about it, but um, <laughs> I'm so past the point of being able to do deep dish pizza. I, it's just, it was a thing, but now it's not. I am now because I'm older and not fun at all. I don't do any fun things. Um, there is a very specific pizza in our household called emergency pizza. That's not the name of it. That's what we call it. And we have it in the house in case of emergency, meaning I can't possibly cook anything other than this pizza right now. And it is a reward. And it's generally a reward on Friday. And generally we wake up on Friday and say, oh, my God, it's pizza day. And it is <laughs> like any nothing bad can happen because it's pizza day. So. This pizza that we call emergency pizza is called Against the Grain Cheese Pizza, and it is gluten-free, and it is fantastic. I highly recommend it to anybody. Um, no no more deep dish pizza for me. Deep dish pizza makes me wake up in the middle of the night. I'm like, oh, I have heartburn. I'm going to die. Um now it's now it's emergency pizza. I'm I'm most I'm pretty much gluten free and most of the time dairy free except for emergency pizza is the only time I really like to cross that line because it's worth it. All right. Okay. You definitely have changed. I was going to ask you because you are a Chicago so, resident. I had my first brush with a Chicago tavern style pizza yesterday. Oh yeah, how'd that go for you? Oh man, it was so good. It was yeah. so good. We have a, a former Chicago resident. I've talked about this on the podcast, so apologies to everyone. But Ugh. we have a former Chicago resident here in Portland. His name is Jerry. Just one and, of them. And <laughs> just there's one only one. There's, there's only, only one. one. But his name is Jerry. He started making 
like legit, like tavern style, thin crust, you know, the really yeah. crispy yeah. Chicago style pizzas in his mm-hmm. house Love during it. the pandemic. Yeah. And he started posting them on Instagram and he built up quite a following locally to the point where he was selling pizzas out of his kitchen all throughout 2020. And just recently he, he, he was like, you had to get on a waiting list, which of course I did. Mm-hmm. And uh, you get on the waiting list and he finally started operating out of a local pub's kitchen to where he can like do it legit, you know? And I had it yesterday after like six months of being on the wait list. Worth it, man. It was such a treat. It was so good. I didn't know what I was missing. He makes the sauce himself. He makes the dough himself. He has a sausage that he makes. He gets this fancy pepperoni and man, so good. So good. Ah, I'm still thinking about it. I ate it last night. I'm still, I want more. Now I've probably waited another six months before I can have it. That huh. that could only happen in Portland, by the way. Like some dude just making pizza out of his house and selling it to customers. Like that, that that's not a thing that is really like allowed in other places. You do. I don't know that, that right? it's allowed here technically. <laughs> I, I think that that's fair, but I I just I wanted to note that that like you know someone here in Chicago would be like, you're shut down not because we. Think it's unsanitary but because you owe us money for doing this so. well oh no don't worry portland likes their money too yeah. they, they they super are a big fan of taking money for and seemingly doing nothing with it they love for sure. that that's for their sure. favorite thing all right man well thank you so much for coming on this was a blast yeah thanks for having me all right well everybody thanks for listening for shelby this is blake and as always folks good luck and good tones All right, there you have it, folks. Another episode in the can. And of course, Shelby and I hung out for a little extra conversation for the patrons. So you can slide over to patreon.com slash tonewob and for five bucks a month, you can get extra episodes beamed to your ear every week and help to keep this thing on track and chugging along. Really, really appreciate it, like I said in the intro. And if you can, that's fantastic. And if you can't, I totally get it. Please take care of yourself. Don't worry about me. You do you. Just please tell a friend. Tell somebody that you care about about this show if you think they would enjoy it. That's the best way that podcasts get found is by others telling others about it. There's no algorithm with this thing. There's no, you know, discovery vehicle for people to find it other than myself and yourself pushing this thing along. So thank you to everyone who's done that. Please, please, please share this with your friends. All right. I'll talk to you next time, possibly real soon. Thank you so much for hanging out. Bye-bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company. And I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to tonemob.com stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things. And by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style. 
Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstory as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.